we're in a really exciting place, being in Berlin and even being in Germany, in that this is a really special place for where music and technology come together. It's an extraordinary, just astounding number of musical engineers in this country, and uh, unparalleled anywhere else in the world. I would say even unparalleled in the United States. And uh, just tons and tons and tons of talent. And those of us on the music side of things haven't always done a great job of communicating with the, the rest of the city, especially as this, this internet phenomenon has happened in Berlin. There's all kinds of conversations that could be happening between these two communities that often aren't. So I'm doing what I always tend to do, which is being kind of an advocate for music and an advocate not just for music as the music industry and listening to records and Spotify and all of those things, but really music creation and music performance as a way of understanding how our, how our culture works and how to design better for people, not just musicians, but for human beings. In the fast-paced world of feeds and tweets and push alerts, we often want to be able to ask a question and have it answered immediately. So if I say that on this program, we're going to consider and look at the fantastically vibrant world of sound and music-related projects in Berlin and ask a question like, why here? Some might want to have a show that points in one direction and says, there's the answer right there. But that kind of conclusion is too narrow. It's too rushed for a field, a world that is and has been so synonymous with this city. Today, we begin with some voices from that world, experienced individuals that have been creating and observing audio in Berlin and developed a well-deserved following in the process. We start with the concept of pushing the limits of sound and making new connections between art, science, technology, as we're joined at a very special event by Peter Kern and Leslie Garcia. In part two of our program, we'll dive into music and hear from renowned DJ Mads Lindgren, also known as Monologue. Let's face it, the topic of audio in Berlin is a mountain, and to climb it, we have to start somewhere. That journey begins now. From Wikimedia Deutschland, I'm Mark Fonseca-Rendeiro, and this is Source Code Berlin. Ask anyone about music or sound in Berlin, and his name will inevitably come up. Perhaps best known as the founder and editor of Create Digital Music, he's also been a product designer, an academic, a composer, an electronic musician, journalist. Peter Kern is a busy human. So instead of sitting down for a quiet conversation somewhere... Weeks ago, he invited me to the CTM Festival's Hack Lab event, where he would show me around an event that included sound engineers, scientists, musicians, tinkerers, thinkers from around the world. What they were doing in Berlin? Well, let's hear it from Peter himself. Well, it's a, it's a six-day open laboratory that's part of CTM Festival. It's the third year that we've done it, and we bring in a group of researchers, artists, musicians, developers from around the world. They have six days in this space to invent new musical performances and then they put those in front of a, a live audience on Sunday in the Hauzwei theater space. So it is very much an, an open collaborative 
development lab that cultivates in new kinds of musical performance? Well, so there are two groups of people here. We have the public audience who come from CTM Festival and around Berlin. We have a series of public discussions that, that they're able to come and attend, and then they're able to come to this ticketed performance on Sunday. And the participants themselves are come from an open call to artists and creators and inventors. And we've selected 20-some of those folks out of this open call to, to work with one another inside the lab. The makeup of the participants themselves is very international. Right. So it's actually a tiny minority that are... German and, and still a minority who are based in Berlin. People have traveled from other places and they've come from as far as Moscow and Mexico and lots of points in between. So we're very much at this sort of border of all of, all of those kind of people. Um, I mean, in terms of this sort of format, you know, there are lots and lots of music hack days and music hack hackathons, things like that. I think what's unique about this is that we do try to make it artistic and performance focused. Mm. So the goal really is expression. It's part of a it's part of a festival that's about programming new music and new audiovisual performance and new sound. Uh, this is not a startup event. This is not about making a new app. It's really about finding new ways to express yourself. And we're not unique in that sense. I mean, this was something that I had been playing around with as a format since since I was in New York. Um, but it is something that's occurring in other places. You know, I think I think the model is is really anywhere where people are collaborating together to develop new artistic expressions and new technology at the same time. There is definitely a parallel, and that's something that's been part of the history of media performance and electronic music um, from the beginning. I would say. It seems like uh, a lot of what I'm only beginning to see here, because I'm just a visitor, but uh, a lot of what I see pushes uh, the limits, or what I thought the limits were, some may think, of what, what you can do with audio and, and technology. Uh, what are the types of work that really catch your attention that you're, you're curious to see where it's going? I mean, perhaps some, some types of work that would really impress people. Maybe we'll, we'll bring in Leslie, because uh, maybe you have things to say. But I'm curious from both oh, yeah. of you, the topic here that are really interesting you. I should, and also I should introduce Leslie by saying, so one thing that happened after the first year that we did this was we had a, a participant who was already doing a lot of facilitating. We really require people to be self-organizing and put themselves together and make the performance happen, and that requires everybody to be kind of an organizer. And uh, one person came out of the first group named Darsha Hewitt, and she was really a great facilitator, and I said for the second year we, we really wanted her to be co-facilitator for the event. So now for the third year, we've sort of invented a tradition, which is having previous participants, alumni of the group, come and be facilitators. And Leslie's even more so because she took this format back to Mexico and uh, already ran one event there and is about to run another. So in addition to going from being participant to, to facilitator, she's spreading this idea or spreading this format or in involving more people. And that, that's also a big part of the practice of what she does. Uh, yeah, well, we want to develop a lot of um, interfaces that could be drive by bio uh, energy, like uh, brain activity. Some people is working with fungi or, um, I don't know, algae and other kinds of uh, approaches to uh, bodies or different bodies uh, external to us. And 
I like this format very much because it brings the possibility to create some kind of um, research environment outside of the formal spaces. So you have the, um, the space to generate knowledge in a very open way, and which I consider is very important because it's part of, um, you know, um, distribution of this uh, kind of, of development is very close and when you do this kind of uh, events you are opening the space to people first to, to collaborate and second to to test their ideas and to test their development so it's very interesting because it's a lot of sharing going on right now and that's uh, very important and My main goal is uh, people to have fun here and, and enjoy the time and use the time to develop something. And second, um, to to have a good performance program. Yeah. Something coming out of this week, something completely uh, unexpected and, I don't know, I, I just want to see what happens at the end. Yeah, exactly. That's very excited. Yeah. When you say... Uh, you're algae for example uh, could you get more specific how does how would we explain this to people who aren't here uh, uh. yeah well um, here is uh, happening a lot of crosses uh, from different um, areas so now we have this uh, combination of art science and technology going on in a very strong way and many of these people is doing uh, uh, works as uh, postdoc researchers or teachers and stuff like that and one of our focus is to have the ability to interface um, biological bodies to electronical ones so we we start from the this idea that every living body has electricity flowing inside so we want that we want to take this electricity and put this into a computer and have the ability to control with this electricity the difference of a sound synthesizer or a visual activation using this information so i don't know it's part science part uh, craziness but that's the idea like um, have access to this information and and develop Um, I don't know, low-cost technology that uh, gives people this ability to, to interface living and non-living systems together. Right. I mean, so the connections that you see in a lot of cases are literally wires. So you will see a plant, and, and Leslie, before this lab, has done performances with plants. You literally see a plant or a, a fungus or, uh, um, or someone's brain with wires attached from that to generally a computer, sometimes to other hardware in place of the computer. So wires are what are literally making the connection. Of course, we're trying to make conceptual connections that are more than just those wires. Yeah. And uh, we're really lucky that CTM Festival has a bold theme this year, and that theme is Untune, and that they're dealing with this notion of bodily effects or the effects of sound and music on the body. What we get to do in the lab is really look at the whole system, so not just, not just what happens to your body when you hear a sound or, uh, or see a visual, but how that bodily response can feed back into this larger system. 
and you being a human or maybe you being a plant or fungus or or um, we have a planetary scientist coming tomorrow when we've talked about things at the molecular level yesterday in the in the talk series so we're we're looking at all of these kind of biological systems and it's a chance for us to kind of break out of the somewhat static model that we have of what a musical instrument is and, and what expression is and, and how you de- it's, it's really down to how you design systems around the world around your environment um, this has been traditionally done in a really mechanistic and, uh, way, it's just sometimes very effective but here we get a chance to kind of venture out on new frontiers of, of, of where you would design those sort of systems And it's not the focus on the creation of music itself. It's not about music as the way we understand music and in a commercial way. It's more about using sound as a medium to transmit a lot of more information than just an harmonic um, composition or stuff like that. So um, it's it's a it's a very open space to think about these subjects in technology and and science also. But it's about a philosophical um, exercise, experimenting in a m- very empirical way, trying to just came out with experience and information that could be shareable in in, in a performance format this time. I think it's very natural because uh, when I started uh, learning electronics, at the same time I was um, assisting to this uh, acupuncture therapy because I was um, I had some kind of uh, sickness in, in that time, and I started learning about the flow of electrons and stuff in wires and machines. And at the same time I was learning about the flow of energy in the body. So in that moment everything just get connected in a very strong way and being a designer uh, I'm very in contact with the creation of stuff you know like a, a handmade production and and design and and I really like also to be able to to develop the electronical part and then I start doing programming and I don't know I think it's a very natural path in this time you start creating something and at some point you find that very static and you go further uh, adding other stuff to your creation creation process and I don't know the plants and bacteria now and all this stuff it was just um, like um, I have this curiosity about uh, who things are related to each other and to create some kind of uh, metaphor to explain these connections in terms of vibration and energy. And I think uh, sound does that job just by itself because it's a physical experience. When you're listening to sound, you don't need to have any previous information to understand precisely what's going on because you are uh, physically uh, feeling what's going on. Mm -hmm. And in comparison, for example, to data visualization, you need um, a code of understanding of the images that are appearing in front of you in order to read this information. And I found 
very useful this um, um, featuring zone in a pedagogy. Uh, sorry, can say that word ped pedagogy yeah, yeah, way. You know, it's like something you can use to to teach, to learn, and to share. One of the questions that always comes back is, uh, and, and I brought it up earlier, is just I'm always trying to figure out, but what is it about Berlin that seems to encourage, or or, or does it? This well, I, hope, I mean, actually, I really hope that it isn't just Berlin, because <laughs> um, then we're in a whole, a whole awful lot of trouble. Um, so uh, we're on sort of a node of a larger network, um, and people in this room have come from a lot of other nodes, London being a really important one, but Mexico being another important one. Um, so, so we have a lot of interconnections there. I suppose what's unique about Berlin, or the reason that I'm here and not somewhere else, personally, is the, the interface between music and technology here is really strong. And, and that's something that attracted Native Instruments years and years ago back when this was maybe not on people's global radar. It really attracted people working with music and technology before a lot of other, uh, other more international cultures. I mean, I think companies like Native Instruments and uh, Ableton and later SoundCloud were pioneers in many ways of a, a lot of what would happen later with digital culture and, uh, uh, and, and, and more international culture here. You know, I think those are also some of the first creative companies that were really, really truly international. So, so there's something to that music and technology connection here, and I think, you know, you really, to work with music, to work with music technology, you really want a very specialized group of people, who have, who, because they have to be able to walk between a long and archaic history of music production, and also engineering at the same time. And so there are a lot of people here who were attracted to coming here to take those kind of risks. And we've tended to attract one another, you know, so people who are in that field find this city addictive and irresistible in ways that people in other fields may not even, you know, just because there's such an incredible and intensive uh, culture around those things here. Now, that said, I mean, I think, you know, I think, I think what's exciting about this particular call. I mean, you know, I, I come from a background as a composer, um, but I'm really engaged by the topics that are coming up this week. We don't really have the luxury anymore as a people of only consuming. We've now transformed our planet and our civilization to the extent that we have to do more than, uh, we have to do more than that. And we, even, you know, speaking as someone who used to work or has worked in the environmental movement, we have to do more than just slowing our rate of consumption. We have to come up with solutions that, that give back. One thing that I know Rachel Armstrong, the researcher who was here yesterday, is working on, she didn't bring it up in this particular talk, but she's working on um, carbon negative ar architecture. So the idea that, you know, it's, it's not enough to simply reduce carbon emissions. Things are at such a drastic point in history that we actually have to suck carbon out of the air if we really want our climate to have a positive future. So I think given that we're facing these kinds of radical changes, radical changes in environment and industry, we, we, those of us on the cultural side of things have a unique obligation 
And so doing this kind of radical performance may not directly solve any problems, but it is a chance to, to play with the kinds of systems that will so and, and make them personal. So if you, if you attach a wire to a plant or a bacteria, or if you try to think of new ways to transform your mind through neurofeedback, like people were talking this morning, you begin to build the repertoire of tools that can help you solve some of these more radical problems. Uh, these tools are more tools for um, understanding uh, our environment in a more deep way than just uh, trying to, you know, modify the superficial stuff. Is trying to go a little bit deeper, and I think that's very important uh, about uh, cognitive uh, science and technologies because it's not only about entertainment, as, as some people think when they think about music or musical instruments. Uh, these tools are also talking about the way we relate with the world and the way we have um, control on this world. So it's important to to work in a more precise way on, on these tools and try to make them uh, more organic. I think one last area that I'm, I'm curious about, at least for now, um, is the whole concept of open. I mean, here you've, you've talked about a little bit the idea of this is a place where you can share uh, and, and learn and teach each other. Um, I know that some of the tools that you use are open source, some are not. Uh, how does that work into the choices that you make as a, as a researcher, as, a, as an event organizer even? Well, I mean, pe pe people here are sharing what they do. And actually, I mean, even though Native Instruments is not a, a company that makes open source technology, Native Instruments is really sharing what they do. Uh, so the, the sharing is the fundamental activity that's happening here. So uh, even though even though Native Instruments is engaged in making commercial products and open source licensing doesn't always make sense for those for some of those, they, they have opened up in terms of how they approach product design and engineering and their engineers are coming and looking at people's projects and uh, one of their electrical engineers was just drawing circuit diagrams and a flip chart so people are sharing at that level uh -huh. and then I mean in the level that people understand uh, licensing issues or tools themselves I think I think Leslie's tools are a terrific example and that you the, the fact that you have a set of um, software and hardware tools that you can kind of give people that makes it easier for them to, to start prototyping and trying out different ideas connecting to everything from plants to brains. Um, some, some of your projects were there. My job is partly as a writer, not just as a developer, so just to talk about these things even happening. But, um, but you've, uh, you've, you've built some interesting stuff that you were able to share with people as well. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and some of the other people around here is working, uh, I don't know, for example, Super Collider or PD Open Frameworks. So uh, even there is some people working with Max MSP, which is not an open source tool, but it has the same root um, about development. So um, I think it's important and really interesting because at the end, what we want is to um, have the ability to exper experiment with these subjects and with these kind of uh, materials. So it's important to share what you have already done because that makes other people have more time to express and to perform and not only being developing like for one week or two weeks all the time. So you want to, to, to make things faster and, and make them work. So in that way, it's very nice because 
you have something done and you can share this with the other person and then this person shares something with you. So at the end, you end up with a very strong set of tools making different circumstances and spaces and and I think that's part of the of the thing we're doing here like uh, put things together like trying to find the people doing the correct uh, neurofeedback work to the people doing the software for that in an open source way and I don't know it's I, I love these kind of uh, spaces <laughs> they're actually great yeah exactly people are making connections and they're accelerating ideas beyond themselves. So uh, the, because the nature of this is to do something collaborative, it's a chance to make those connections. And uh, uh, you know, it's important to spend some of your time as an artist being a solo artist, but this is, this is something else. And we really chose people who we thought would be collaborative in, in the hopes that they would do things that are only possible, putting them together in a, in a room. Okay, well, Peter and Leslie, thank you so much, uh, and, and all the best with the performances. Thank you. Listening to Source Code Berlin from Wikimedia Deutschland. I'm Mark von Sicker-Rendeiro, and the music in the background is not from Hack Lab this time. It's actually from the 2012 release Aerodynamic, entitled Choke Space, by our next guest as we move on in this exploration of sound and music to actually the music side, electronic music. We're going to hear from someone who lives the life, someone who composes and performs music in that sinister universe of synthesis, aggressive beats, with the innovative use of broken instruments, kitchen utensils, recordings from the industrial surroundings of Berlin that somehow are made into percussion instruments and explosive sound textures. His music, quote, lies in the outskirts of the electronica genre. Joining us now from his home in Berlin, Mads Lindgren, a.k.a. Monologue. Let's start with the the biographical part. Um, you know, you, there you are. You're not originally from Berlin, but how is it? And I do wonder if it was your work that, or, or what it was that brought you to Berlin. So first off, I think it started with a gig around 2003 uh, or early 2000. There about where I came to Berlin and played a little place called Strandbar in Mitte, and absolutely fell in love with the city. And I was at the university at that time um, studying interactive media. And then I decided to go to Berlin to gather some empiric material for the, the last bit of my university studies and lived here for additional four months and built up a network to actually get more music going and more collaborations and so forth. 
then I went back to Denmark to finish my studies and do my thesis. And um, then quite shortly after I uh, finishing there, I got a job at Native Instruments um, ah. as a prolonging of the whole work that I did. And they knew me before and I had a few friends and, and so forth. So that was actually the uh, reason why I moved back to Berlin, that there was a job and opportunity within a domain I found, it, found fairly interesting, namely making music software, which goes fairly good hand-in-hand hand with actually making music. So that was the main driver of the whole thing and how it started. Yeah. As you understand it, Mads, I mean, I know you don't run native instruments or anything like that, but um, why did these companies choose to be in Berlin? And I'm I'm looking here at the connections, right, between what it is that's going on in the city and, and why companies like native instruments would want to be there. Honestly, I've been very puzzled about the same question for many, many years, because if you look at the entire European map, um, there's a really, really heavy, heavy part of it that is focused around Germany, like uh, not only Native Instruments, but also Abelson, uh, Sugarbytes, the whole logic development, um, Steinberg, and so forth, that all, more or less all the heavy players are centered around Germany. Mm. And so far, the only real connection I've seen is that there's a level of electrical and DSP engineering that goes on in the German universities which creates sort of the, the knowledge base for actually continuing on with these things and that is actually the only uh, real uh, connection that i've seen so far that a lot of people are being educated as dsp engineers in the german universities which is a bit sort of a i don't know a, a weirder road to take or a little more cumbersome if you're doing it abroad or in denmark or uk or us and so forth hmm. I've been told over and over again as I start to ask the question about electronic music and and what's going on in Berlin. Uh, is it also for you uh, a lifestyle? As I'm so often told, it's it's a, it's more than just something you do. It's it's a lifestyle. Well, uh, making music has been a lifestyle since uh, start of the '90s. So yeah, it's definitely a continuation of that. And I would also say that Berlin is maybe one of the uh, places in Europe where you can indulge yourself in that lifestyle and make not really a living out of it but uh, you can be in a place where the living cost correspond to what you what you actually make as a musician today which is basically nothing and you can live off of basically nothing in berlin and that is my guess why so many people are centered around the city and also because it's a it seems like a uh, to have a reputation within many different types of arts to actually be a, a big train station where a lot of people meet and fuse up and, and support each other in their work. Um, turning towards the world of open, uh, open source in some ways, mm-hmm. um, you, the music that you produce with Monologue, that's always uh, done with uh, Creative Commons licenses? And, and I wonder why. If so, uh, so um, the only music that I have out on a Creative Commons license is basically the release we had. Uh, I had on Urlaut, um, which also brought you in contact with me through Christian, and, uh, the label boss. And that was actually more done as a sort of a, a way to promote uh, uh, LP that also came out with that release. So our idea was to actually give all the uh, digital formats away for free and then that should support some sort of a media sale namely the record and that is basically the only creative commons release i've had so far Mm. 
Uh, and and now with your latest release, Eversleep, uh, how did how did you look at it as as you were doing it, and even now as you released it? When it comes to uh, yeah, this whole question of, of open license or, or not using one, I mean, what was on your mind? Uh, I mean, the the good thing is that I don't really have to be concerned about these things anymore um, because I'm more um, on on labels that are concerned with these things and have marketing and market strategies for actually rolling out the music, uh, reaching some sort of an audience. And the only thing uh, that I had to say in this was that it, uh, Creative Commons used to be a way of giving something back to the people and uh, a way of actually experimenting with these open licenses and trying to counter this MP3 piracy by actually just giving the music away for free. But then at the other end, there was not really anything coming out of it at the other end. There was not really any big exposure uh, attached to it you didn't really get any coverage and the newsflash of actually getting giving music away for free is basically something that will drown in, in in the masses of everything else so i would say that um these are the headaches that i put on to the major labels that i'm releasing on now namely ad nauseum and also recently subtract and and in terms of like uh, the tools that you use, the software that you use, I mean, understood that that some of it is is going to be uh, definitely uh, uh, not open source. But I mean, I understand that for your for your music, you let the label worry about it. Uh, what about for your own production? Uh, does it matter to you, and and, and in what way? Uh, I, it matters in a lot of ways. I mean, uh, uh, growing up being a broke musician, basically having absolutely zero cost to invest into new equipment. Um, being able to try out new technologies or test plugins coming out of the universities or uh, major companies releasing betas and so forth has always been very, very interesting and very inspiring. And it's also one of the places where you'd see um, some sort of a cutting-edge development happen first, that it's basically an open-source project until somebody takes it and makes a business out of it and then maybe at some point you would have a patent come out on a certain type of synthesis and then people claim it to be theirs and so forth. But up until that point, it's a very driving factor to be able to sort of ride the wave of technological evolution uh, and be able to try out um, different kinds of effects and instruments as you go along. So I would say on a production level, it has been a very um, important part of my production and also being able to um, focus on so many different things without having to spend 600 euros just to try out one certain thing and not a lot of other things. So it's really been a nice way of uh, trying to cover as much ground um, and growing and also growing a stronger mentality as to what the material is, electronic music, and where you can take it with certain types of technology. Uh, I'm guessing we have people listening who, who are interested uh, in some of the specifics, if you can, uh, some of the tools uh, that you're you're still using uh, to this day or that have made a big difference in your in your work. Um, it's really <laughs> almost too much to mention. Um, I would say that there's a few major types of forums where a lot of these uh, plugins are in early beta test or where people um, deploy their freeware VSTs. That there will be the KVR forum where there's always a lot of um, technology floating around that is free for download um, for browsing pleasure and for checking out new things. And then there's a second version of freeware, which means that you buy a shell where you can load up the various types of instruments and where the 
content actually building the machines and putting the DSP inside of it is more crowd-funded or crowd-sourced is um, something like Reactor from Native Instruments and something called Mux that we also use inside Ableton Live um, as from the cycling company where you have huge uh, user-based communities trying out new things and always coming up with something strange and interesting. So in a lot of the interviews that I've been doing, we, we come to this discussion of you know, people who are uh, either programmers or, or, or simply people who are creating something right. and how they've been in Berlin for, for, say, a decade in some cases or, or less often, and how there's a change going on, right? And, and you know of this change, I think, if you, if you run around in different neighborhoods of the city. Yeah. I'm wondering how, how you feel this change. I mean, we were just talking about how you know, being affordable, being a place where also a, a, a place where people meet, you call referred to it almost like a train station um is is that changing and in what way in the last let's say five years even so i would say um um, as a whole range 10 years i would say that it has gone from being this very cheap place where you could live on basically zero cost and within the last five years you start to see people being pushed further and further out into the outskirts of the city where they can actually afford to live and that is due to uh, prices of uh, the flats that they're living in and also the food that they actually need to have from time to time and the beers and whatever, that uh, you see less and less um, of these bohemian collectives in the middle of the city or in the areas like Prenzlau, like Kreuzberg, Neukölln and so forth, that it's getting pushed further and further out. And not by now you actually need to go quite far out to find one of these three, 400 euro flats that you'd be able to find. Um, in this area, like now I'm living in Neukölln and I've been living here for five years now. And I'm, <clears throat> as a comparison, uh, I'm paying 480 for my flat, and my neighbor who has a very similar flat is paying 910 euros who moved in last year. Mm-hmm. So that is sort of a, a measure of the economical change. And then obviously, you also change the people that are inside the neighborhoods, that a lot of the major German offices from Bonn uh, was moved to Berlin and you start to see a lot of these southerners come in here and you also see that the people on the streets are are gradually changing from normal people into being uh, business people, small families or uh, people with a mommy and daddy sponsor that are making the living here. Mm-hmm. And, and in terms of people who do what you do in the music world, are there then less? Uh, I think like um, the, um, uh, what, you, what you make when you do um, engineering or management job, which I've been doing at Native Instruments and now Ableton, then you also see of a correlating rise in your payment, all depending on what the living cost is. So that has been um, exponentially growing side by side, luckily. So I haven't been in the situation that I would have to move out of a certain area because my pay was too low to actually sustain the living then. And what about on the side of making electronic music, you know, doing what you, what I believe you love? I mean, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it really goes well hand in hand. Like uh, currently I work at Ableton as a quality assurance coordinator and caretaking the beta test pool and maintaining contact to most other audio companies in, in the world, more or less, for Able- on behalf of Ableton. And um, yeah, that is uh, not only a way of staying in touch with the community, but also having a pretty bright, a good idea of um, what people actually want, what their dreams are, uh, where their visions are going in terms of te- technology and to what extent a certain piece of software will actually um, uh, support 
that thought or that that way of life if that was what you were asking yeah to some extent yeah and and it's also just a matter of you know are <laughs> the colleagues that you have making that music are uh, are they less now you know what i'm saying because they they can't like you said afford to do what they love to do they, anymore to to put to put it in short there's just as many freaks as there always is in these companies and i would say that the outfit is more or less the same i mean yeah the group dynamic and the sort of people that you see inside of a company of either Native Instruments or Ableton size is, has been the same, and it's also the same composite of colleagues that I have. Yeah. With the monologue and, and the albums that you release, the shows you play, uh, what kind of audience do you picture when you're performing? Mean, you, you know, who's your audience? Uh, I would say I've met a lot of different people like uh, coming back from a lot of festival gigs last summer like fusion festival and a france tour and uh, a few festival shows around the berlin um, berlin area it's very very mixed i mean uh, mostly people are very drunk they're very much on drugs and they're usually very happy about heavy um, distorted extremely aggressive music so Anybody you could put inside that segment also fits into somebody that would show up at my concert. So I don't really have a general picture of my listener, but it seems to be more people coming out of the um, industrial segment, people that have been listening to Break, Core and Gabba for quite some years, people that are into um, hard, heavy, sinister drum and bass would show up to these things, people that are listening to more Broken variations of either ambient and dubstep would also show up for these shows. So that that is more like the general picture that I have. That mostly these people are wearing black clothes for some strange reason. I don't yeah. know stuff. And and the venues where you play. I mean, this is this is a part of Berlin which I don't get to hear so much about when I'm focused on programmers. Um, but when it comes to the places where you play, is it is it the same? Is it the top clubs in the city, or or is there also room there for for the unknowns and the and the temporary spaces and all that? I, I, I would say it all scales. Like a place like Fusion Festival, you play in front of two thousand people that go to a festival to listen to electronic music. Um, some of the um, larger clubs for this kind of music here in Berlin would be something like Subland with a capacity of four to 500 people. And mostly these places are rammed when we're doing our evenings. So if you're starting to compare this to either Tresor or Berghain, obviously there's less people at these events, but also say that the whole atmosphere and the vibe um, indeed makes up for that, that the parties are way more intense and also a lot more enthusiast-driven as opposed to drug-driven in, the, in these major rave clubs. So electronic music is, uh, needless to say, but for a tourist like me, uh, alive and well. <laughs> I would most certainly say so, yes. Mads Lindgren, a.k.a. Monologue, is a producer and performer who you can find more about at bitreactor.dk. So from the hack lab connecting science, art, and technology to the DJ connecting life, music, and technology, on today's program, we've gotten to hear from three unique experienced voices who are at the forefront of innovative audio performances. A big thank you to Peter Kern, Leslie Garcia, and Mads Lundgren.
And as we wrap up the program for today, a reminder that the call for papers for Enthusiastic Con, June 19th to the 21st, Enthusiastic Con is a conference for the programming community, and the call for papers is open. It's talking two days of short presentations. We'll talk about what excites you in programming, the strange, the wonderful, the clever solutions to unusual problems, share your enthusiasm, or come and listen to what makes fellow programmers beam with joy about their craft. The Call for Papers is up on our website, sourcecode.berlin, and we look forward, I'll be there, we look forward to seeing you in June. And that does it for this edition of Source Code Berlin. Thanks to all those who have emailed or commented on the program via the website, Twitter, Facebook, even on iTunes. Source Code Berlin is a Wikimedia Deutschland podcast. You can find us at sourcecode.berlin or follow us on Facebook, Source Code Berlin, on Twitter, at SRC Code Berlin. Music featured on today's program was by Leslie Garcia and Monologue, both published under a Creative Commons license. Find out more via the links on our website. Same goes for the audio that we started the program with from Republica 2013. This podcast is published under a CCBYSA 4.0 license and edited by me. Until next time, I'm Mark Fonseca Rendeiro. Thanks for listening. We are.